You're tuned in to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaze Delfino of Audiology Services and Fader Plugs, the show that discusses hearing technology, best practices, and a growing national epidemic, hearing loss. Before we kick this episode off, a special thank you to our partners. Oticon, life-changing technology. Sonic, every day sounds better. Starkey Hearing Technologies, hear better, live better. Redux, faster, drier, smarter, verified. On this episode, we are so excited to welcome Matt Deller. He is the founder and director of the Sounds of the Southwest Singers and was a finalist in the 2020 Focus on People Awards. He is also from sunny Arizona. Matt Deller, welcome to the Hearing Matters podcast. Thank you very much. So glad to be here. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Matt, you are an accomplished singer, musician. What can't you do, truly? Because reading your biography, my gosh, it is incredible. What inspired you to pursue a career in music? Did you always know you wanted to be a singer? Share with us your journey. It all started when I was very young. I love exposure to music from my dad, who was a singer himself, professional singer, singing at Twelve Voice Men's Group. And so at a very early age, I was exposed to the singing that had rehearsals of my home. And I was probably too young to be in the room, so I would kind of hide off to the side, you know. But I really enjoyed the music, and it grew on me. Um, and I started playing the piano, and my parents realized they've got to get this kid some music lessons. So I started learning piano, and that obviously has helped a lot of the pianists. And I also played percussion as well. So I've got some background in playing as well as singing. So I grew up with that atmosphere, and my father traveled, did a lot of music. He cut a few albums with his groups, and and I grew up with that in my house. And so I think that really inspired me to become a musician and singer. We were discussing before we started this episode that your hearing loss was progressive. You had measles when you were Correct. a child. And over time, your hearing has progressively declined. Growing up in a household that emphasized the importance of music and playing music how did this onset of hearing loss affect, or really it didn't affect you in terms of starting a career in music? That's a really good question because I think I, I, think I lay the responsibility on my parents for that because they made sure that it didn't stop what I wanted to do. I think the whole idea was turning a disability into an ability for them. They wanted to see things happen for me and they didn't want anything to stop me. You know, I went to normal school, went through college, you know, everything. They made sure that the music was an important part of my life once they realized that I wanted to be involved in music. So they just latched right onto that, make sure I didn't have anything hold me back, set me off the camp. I wondered if they just wanted to get me out of the house, but you know, they me <laughs> off the camp and, and, and just do all kinds of things like that. So I really enjoyed that a lot. I think that was a big part of it. Their influence on me. And making sure that when I was in school, then I sat in front of the class, that I learned everything I could. And it was just a great experience. Matt, how have you turned your impairment into an advantage? Because we're not even diving yet into the meat and potatoes of all that you've accomplished and what you do on a daily basis. And this needs to be emphasized because for our listeners tuned in, 
Matt is the perfect example of turning an impairment into an advantage. So how have you done this? Well, it's, I think it's very interesting. I kind of learned as I went along. And when I started directing, I found that if I emphasize the things that maybe I'm weak at making it a strength to the choir, things would be better. For instance, enunciation. When singers sing, they forget a lot to enunciate. You can't understand a word they're singing a lot of the time. And in my group, when you hear my group sing, whether it's a recorded, whether you're in the room with them, you understand every word because I tell them, enunciate when you sing, you know, speak distinctly, just as if you're trying to get me to hear you. And that's very important. If you're speaking to me, you want to enunciate. So sing that way. And everyone sings together. So there's a definite advantage. The other advantage is when I'm watching my singers and I do constantly because I have to memorize the music. So I'm always watching as I'm directing. If the mouths are off, I know they're off. So if I don't pick it up with my hearing, I pick it up with my sight. So that's advice I would give every musician, whether they're hearing impaired or not, is always be watching your singers because you pick up visual cues that are more important in many ways than hearing, in my opinion. I can tell a section's off. I can tell if a certain singer's off. Uh, I won't pick on that certain singer when I stop the choir. I'll have the whole section rehearse over again. But, but you know, you can get really detailed if you want to. But I think that's a definite advantage. Matt, you had previously mentioned that when you are directing, you're not only listening to the voices, but you're watching the mouths of the singers. You founded a group called the Sounds of Southwest Singers. What inspired you to start this group? And I believe your group has traveled pretty extensively and you've performed in a lot of really cool places, for lack of a better term. <laughs> We've we really have. We've been very, we've been blessed with the great travel and good times. We started the group in 2010. And I say we because it was founded by both my wife and myself, my wife, Leanne. Two of us founded the group together because we were looking for an opportunity to branch out, not just to be able to sing sacred music, but be able to enjoy Broadway, jazz, pop, patriotic, Christmas music, and the music you can't really sing in a church environment. But our core group of 35 singers at that time were made up of all church choir members who wanted to jump, take advantage of a different opportunity to sing. And so we started as a, a we were under the umbrella of another group. I love the group that did uh, work with children. And so we were able to joined together with that group for several years under their umbrella. And then we formed our own nonprofit. And so we've been doing this for 11 years now and grown from 35 to about 150 singers. Matt, you have led talented singers to concert halls in the U.S. and abroad. What does a choir rehearsal look like? That's a lot of fun. Well, first of all, that is the word we describe. It's fun. You come in, you have a great time. You leave your problems at the door. Kind of like the cheers bar and everybody walks in. Everybody says a good name and there's hugs and greetings. And let me sit down and get to business. And I think I keep it moving. I keep it moving and we have a, a good time, but we do focus on the important things about singing. And we spend a lot of time on things that I want to spend on. Articulation and enunciation, like I mentioned before. The shaping of the sounds. No, my percussion background has helped me a lot. So we spend a lot of time on rhythms, a lot of time on making sure the sound is just so, because, you know, I want to take what I know about music and sound and project it onto my singers in any way I can. 
can. So it's it's important that as a hearing impaired person in a situation like that to be able to get feedback and hear and understand. One of the ways I do that is I encourage my singers to come up to me after rehearsal, email me after rehearsal with this and need a question rather than the raise up the hand and me trying to hear and spending time. It's It becomes a waste of time. So what I've done is I've created the atmosphere of you can absolutely access me, but do it by email or by questions after rehearsal. And they know that the next rehearsal, I pick right back up where we left off and let them know, uh, the singers know the, what the problem is and how we can fix it and so on. So it works very well. It's a great relationship with the singers. Matt, I'm curious to know, what are some vocal warm-ups that you implement with your choir? Well, that's very interesting that you asked that because I focus a lot on the same sounds that I have problems with personally. And I think that I'm taking that my negative, you might say, issues, turning them into positives by making sure my singer sings. For instance, the word peace ends with that S sound. I want the S sound to be specific right on the cutoff. I don't want it to sound like there's a bunch of snakes in the room. I want it to be a clear, clean <laughs> cutoff. So we'll do warm-ups that way. We'll sing the word, cut them up, cut them up until it's perfect. That's an example. We do a lot of pitch matching. I'll you know, have the pianist play a couple of pitches, have the singers find the pitches. I'll work on the intervals. I work on all the things that involve the ear and remembering that, yeah, it may be a shortcoming for me in some senses, but I also have perfect pitch, which really helps situations a lot. I've been gifted with that. Thank goodness, right? I mean, not every musician is going to have perfect pitch, but if they have relative pitch, if they have an idea of where that middle C is on that piano, it will help them teach vocally the, the big groups a lot better, you know, if they know where that pitch is. Matt, you have perfect pitch and you present with a profound hearing loss. First of all, for our listeners tuned in, what does perfect pitch mean? And why is this really something to be proud of and excited about, especially being someone who has that profound hearing loss? Because that is so cool, a big deal, awesome. Thank you so much. It is a big deal. And I'm very, very lucky in that regard. I think God is good to me in that sense that I'm able to find the pitches and, and hang on to them. I think perfect pitch, the definition of that compared to what they call relative pitches, perfect pitches, you're able to instantly identify a pitch and you don't have to find another one to get to it. For instance, if you play a chord to me, I will be able to tell you exactly what that chord is. I know where that, that some sharps and flats are. I know where the nationals are. I can tell you whether it's a minor six, a major seven, and so on and so forth. I can tell you what uh, it's the day what the note is without having to think, without having to hum, that kind of thing. And if we're in a situation where I'm, you know, I don't have a pianist with me and I need that middle C note to start out a sign, I can hum that note and my choir can sing it after listening to my note. So I'm able to find that, which is a real blessing if you're in a situation. We were in Salzburg once around a big fountain in Salzburg and a composer wanted me to get a pitch he wanted an E, so I needed E, I need to start a sign. You've got, Matt, give me an E. So I sang the E, and it was just right. And we started, and I was really glad I got it right. It did, you know, on a nice around, you know. Not in Salzburg, not now, you know. Come on, mess around there. So that's an example of how perfect pitch can help. And even relative pitch, even having a basic knowledge of what's going on with the notes can help hearing impaired choir directors, musicians. You were diagnosed with hearing loss at a young age. 
When you were first fit with hearing aids, what was that new hearing world like for you? And how did this sort of influence your singing? Well, that's a very good question because it makes me think back to my young years. It's a very long time ago, but I can tell you it was very different for me having a hearing aid in school. And this is in the, the mid-60s. We were in a hearing aid. Obviously, there was some attention called to it. I didn't let it bother me at all. I was very strong about it. I wasn't embarrassed, but I think I took advantage of the fact that now things were a little more clear to me. And not only was I reading lips constantly, but now I could sort of start to hear sounds. I think one of the most embarrassing things for me, if I want to look back at it, was maybe the mispronunciation of words, because you expect a word to be a certain pronunciation, and it's not. <laughs> and you think you read it as a certain word, but when you say it, it's not quite right. So those are the things I've discovered, especially over the years, is I've become humble and realized that I'm not going to be able to pronounce every single word. And my wife is really good at correcting me, too. But, but with hearing aids growing up, it just sort of evolved. And, and as, here, as technology got better, I started hearing better. And being involved in music groups, it just became a great world for me. Just opened right up. Now, Matt, you mentioned technology. And you were recently upgraded to the Oticon Exceed behind-the-ear hearing aid. We fit our patients with Oticon. Of course, we are a multi-brand here at Audiology Services, but we fit Oticon, and they have incredible products. And you were actually a finalist for the 2020 Focus on People Awards. Tell us a little bit about the technology you wear and how it has positively influenced your hearing world. I could tell you a lot about it, but I won't go on for an hour and a half. (laughs) <laughs> I, I know my audiologist was, and I can't pronounce that word, audiologist, Dan Trimble at Metro Hearing up here in Glendale. Very, very helpful for me. He's been working with me for a long time. So he'd been looking for a hearing aid that would work for me. And when the lesser power hearing aids came out of Oticon, not the Exceed, but the Open and so on, he was looking for or waiting for the Exceed to come because he knew in his mind, that will be a good hearing aid for me. And so he wanted me to try that hearing aid once it came out. When it finally did, after months of anticipation and me going crazy, because I really wanted to try this hearing aid out, finally got him in my ears. And wow, I can tell you right away, the biggest difference was speech and being able to discriminate in speech. It was just a huge change for me. Reading lips is one thing, but being able to finally hear some sounds that I'd never heard before, that's a whole different ballgame. And then with music, the beauty of this, these new hearing aids is I'm able to have the different settings that help me with music. And, you know, the first setting is obviously for speech, being in the best world of all as far as speech goes. And then I have another setting which brings in the choir and speech. So I have kind of a combination of both. Obviously, the, there's still some speech in there so that I can understand more clearly the spoken word, but also the choir. And then there's an, uh, an additional setting for more music types of things. But really what it does is it opens things up for me so I'm able to hear the very best I can in whatever situation I'm in. If I'm standing on the, you know, the podium at Carnegie Hall, which I will be next year. We didn't talk about that. I will be at Carnegie Hall next year, May 28th. The choir is coming to Carnegie Hall. I'm getting the opportunity to direct them. I will need to have a certain setting on my area to open that right up. So... I'm very excited about that. Being able to hear the orchestra, the choir, in the acoustics of the room, you know. So in rehearsal, you're going to be seeing me 
fiddling with my hearing aid, trying to find that right setting for me. And uh, that's what the Otacon's doing for me. I really love it. It's been uh, a wonderful journey so far, but I'm getting to know them still. It's just something you can't do overnight. It takes time. And when I go in again to my audiologist, we'll be changing settings. We'll be trying new things all the time. There's so many capabilities, you know, a lot of doors to walk into. I'm really happy that you brought that up because it is a journey whenever you are fit with hearing aids. Mm -hmm. It is not a, you know, once and done, this is where your hearing aids are programmed to. I'm so happy that you bring that up. Matt, when you mentioned directing at Carnegie Hall, you have directed in many well-known halls. In fact, you had the opportunity to conduct a selection at St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. Yeah. Holy smokes. What was this experience like? Well, it got a major goosebumps, first of all. That obviously uh, was a big deal. But standing in that place, conducting that music in that cathedral with 200 singers was a moment to remember for a lifetime. Obviously, one of the most amazing things to have happened. And so being in front of this group during this hour of the most holy church service ever, you know, was amazing. The song was the prayer of St. Francis. And from beginning to end, it was just surreal. It was just amazing for me. Matt, I think what's really important is, first of all, you have accomplished so much as a musician as a director. And I'm curious to know what advice would you give to musicians who have hearing loss? And what advice would you give to younger musicians interested in a career in the music industry? That's a really good question because I would love to have received some of that advice while I was younger to help me out. But now that I've gotten to where I am today, I feel like I could just dish it out and and put my arm around people and help them out with this. Because I think the main thing is to have some confidence in your abilities. You know, just because you can't hear well does not mean you can't stand up in front of a group of people and direct. Just have to know what your weaknesses are and turn them into strengths. And if you don't do it as for your strength, make it your singer strengths. And I think the whole key of what I mentioned earlier about turning a disability into an ability is really important here. So if you need accommodations, you just ask. If you need help, ask. That's so important. I think I think everyone is willing, if they know about your hearing impairment, which is kind of an issue for, for hearing impaired people, I think, to just be totally open and honest about their hearing impairment and not worry about what people think. I think it's going to be a very important thing in the world of music to let others know. At first, I didn't want to. I didn't want other people to really know about it when I was younger, but now I'm just working it out, I'll say, hi, how are you doing? Oh, by the way, I don't hear well. Just so you know, speak up a little, maybe move your mouth so I can understand what you're saying, please. You know, kind of thing. You know, the patient's kicks in there a little bit, but maybe impatient. But I think it's important that you communicate that. If you don't, then it's a, it's a disadvantage to you. I really believe that if you don't. And I have to say, when I was younger, I was very shy about it. I didn't want to just tell everybody, look, you know, I have a hearing aid in the ear. Look at this, you know. That wasn't, a, um, that wasn't a focus. But later on in life, I understood that if you don't tell others about your, your impairment, then you're really at a disadvantage. Now, on the other hand, if you do that, they will perhaps over-enunciate, perhaps shout at you. You know, you get those things. You get, hello, Matt, how are you? You know, that kind of thing. And you're, then 
you can get to educate. The education part's great for me. I can educate a hundred people in a room on how to speak to someone who's hearing impaired. I just reach 100 people. You know, that's fantastic. Say, look, you don't have to yell. You don't have to shout. Speak in a normal voice and speak distinctly. Move your lips. And so when I say that, everybody's, oh, oh, that's how we do it. So I get somebody coming up to me and they're actually doing that. That's a wonderful thing. It's called, you've got to let people know what's going on. If you're hearing impaired, don't be shy. Use your disability to become an ability. Let your accompanist know that you can't hear well. You'll find that your accompanist can help you in so many ways that you may not be aware. You can say, you know what? Tell me if they're off. I want to know. And then all of a sudden they're telling you and you get that feedback from your accompanist. So it's a positive. Everybody's talking to each other, you know? So that's really a definite advantage of having a great accompanist who understands your hearing loss. The people around you understand your hearing loss and all they want to do is see you be a better person. And that makes them better singers. So all works hand in hand. You're tuned in to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaze Delfino of Audiology Services and Fader Plugs. Today, we had Matt Deller, founder and director of the Sounds of the Southwest Singers and a finalist in the 2020 Focus on People Awards. He is from Sun City, Arizona. And for more information about Matt Deller and the Sounds of the Southwest Singers, click the link in these show notes. And until next time, hear life's story. Thanks again for tuning in to the Hearing Matters podcast today. I'm your host, Blaze Delfino, and on behalf of our entire team, thank you so much for the support. Truly, it means so much to us. Head on over to the Apple Podcast app and share your thoughts. What did you like most about this episode, and what do you like most about our podcast? Five-star reviews are always appreciated. And also, head on over to Instagram, hit that follow button, and let's connect. And as a team we can continue to help our community hear life's story.